Inside Florida Politics, powered by Gannett. Florida lawmakers advance a pair of culture war bills touching on race and sexuality. The Conservative Political Action Conference kicks off this week in Orlando with Governor Ron DeSantis in the spotlight. And Florida Surgeon General Joseph Ladapo is finally confirmed. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor Zach Anderson. And those are some of the stories I'll be discussing this week with Gannett State Capitol reporter John Kennedy and Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Finns. But first... Gentlemen, did you bring some numbers this week? How about you, John? Zach, I sure did. I, I, you know, I often find myself with a Nigel Tufnell inspired 11 for this is Spinal (laughs) Tap fans. But uh, here I am again. And uh, my number this week is 11. All right. John Kennedy cranking it up to 11. How about you, Antonio? I'll have a movie reference, but later I have 51.8%. 51.8. And my number this week is 36. Remember those numbers, folks. We'll tell you what they mean in Florida politics at the end of the show. Well, the Florida House debated legislation this week that would restrict how race and sexuality are discussed in schools. The so-called Don't Say Gay Bill and another measure dubbed the Stop Woke Act are poised for approval by the end of this week. They also are advancing in the Senate. Combating so-called woke views about race and gender have become major conservative talking points, and the GOP plans to run on these issues in 2022. They represent a backlash to the racial justice protests of recent years in response to police killings of black people and to a push for a more inclusive views about sexuality and gender. John, do these bills put Florida at the forefront of this uh, burgeoning anti-woke movement? Well, yeah, Florida is just about at the front of the pack of uh, this uh, Republican group of states with these kind of divisive bills that seem directed toward a older, white, uh, non-urban base. At least that's the... uh, the, the the base that you're thinking is going to be attracted by this kind of legislation. But, you know, you know Florida is not alone. These kind of culture war attacks have sprung up in many Republican dominated states. Uh, new Governor Glenn Youngkin in Virginia and uh, DeSantis's political uh, doppelganger in uh, Texas, Republican Governor Greg Abbott. They've both promoted similar school bills that seek to censor talk in schools about race, uh, sexuality and gender identity with with some observers uh, likening this movement right now to the to the red scare push in the 1950s during the uh, Senator Joe McCarthy era or you know even going further back to the 1920s when southern states were the battlegrounds in the uh, dispute over the teaching of evolution uh, DeSantis of course you know with his support for the stop woke bill which is uh, awaiting set final senate approval uh, he, he's going after businesses, though, too, which is usually a reliable uh, safety spot for Republicans. Uh, this legislation, which he called for, uh, would allow employees to sue their companies for civil rights violations if they felt somehow offended by diversity training or promotion practices that they felt hampered them because of their race. Uh, specifically, the bill is aimed at prohibiting companies from using any training methods or HR practices that might acknowledge anything akin to, you know, white privilege or the advantages men may have in the workplace. While, you, you know, when you think about it, minorities are usually those who 
typically are considered protected by civil rights laws. In this case, the DeSantis view would be that if a white person were passed over for advancement in an effort to promote a diversity, say, well, maybe that would qualify as a civil rights violation under this new law. It's it's still to be seen, really, how, how this is going to play out in the real world. But the attacks on race, gender, and sexuality issues uh, you know, they're, they're all portrayed in Florida and these other states as a as a support and expansion of parental rights, that parents are the ones who should decide what is taught to their children. When, uh, you know, cast in that way, it seems difficult to argue with. And polls do show that in some cases, 80 percent of respondents say education will be a driving topic of how they vote in November. But only about 25% of those respondents in polls say that curriculum is what will guide their vote. Again, though, you know, among Republican voters, that that question about curriculum and what is taught in schools draws a much stronger response. Um, so you can see, you know, who th this kind of legislation is directed to. It's that Republican base and uh, reaching into the classroom to guide what can be said or not said to students who may be LGBTQ or in discussions of the history of race in America. Uh, it, th that's obviously going to have a chilling effect on what is said. And uh, teachers facing these kind of regulations and fearing a complaint that could threaten their livelihoods with a misstep, um, you know, they're, they're going to be inclined to shy away from these subjects, really anything controversial. Now, at least that's what a lot of the critics and a lot of the educators are saying about this kind of, uh, you know, heavy regulation. Uh, so you got to wonder, is this good teaching? I mean, you know, parents are definitely concerned about the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on their kids' academic and emotional well-being. Uh, national surveys have shown that parents are generally satisfied, though, with the way schools have been managed uh, through mask wearing and closures and everything else that's gone with this you know, pandemic now in its third year. But um you know, there's a frustration after these years of fighting COVID. And it seems that DeSantis and other Republican leaders are really just trying to tap into that frustration, real or imagined in schools, and uh, targeting these sensitive topics and communities of students in a bid to give their conservative voters what they think they want. Uh, that's an ability to turn back the clock and make Florida a censorship and surveillance state, it would seem. Antonio, uh, you know, Democrats have been pretty united against this uh, don't say gay bill and the stop woke act. But, you know, if you look at uh, cultural issues nationally, there are some Democrats who are arguing that the party has too, gone too far left uh, on some cultural issues in general, um, you know, things like, you know, mass mandates and things like that. You saw it in San Francisco where these school board members were recalled. Um, you know, uh, some people thought that they were too focused on things like renaming uh, schools that, uh, you know, were named after people they didn't like uh, instead of, uh, you know, focusing on COVID policy in school. Um, you know, is, is this are, are there some issues here that could be uh, alienating, you know, working class voters, parents, um, working class Hispanic voters that are critical in a state like Florida? Does the Democrat Party have a, a woke problem? Well, yeah, you were hearing a lot of that. But, you know, when it comes to deepening concerns among working class, even middle income Floridians in general, the bigger problem the Democrats have is they have this combo inflation and socialism problem. 
you know, first for everybody, prices are going up on all kinds of products. It's not just gasoline that is now almost on an eight-year high, but also food and other products. And that's across the board for working class and middle-income Floridians. The, the same Floridians, by the way, who embraced DeSantis because of his, you know, COVID anti-business closure rhetoric and that keep the economy open. Uh, that's that's a really important issue for working class and middle-income Floridians. Uh, now, for Hispanics in particular, you know what? You can also drop in that socialism label, which proved an effective attack line in 2020. And we saw how that worked out. And the challenge is for Democrats is they still do not have a good rebuttal. Now, I covered a televised town hall in downtown Miami during the presidential campaign you know, almost two years ago. And when this Latino voter asked then-candidate Joe Biden about socialism, Biden said, do I look like a socialist? Okay, it was a funny line, but an ineffective one when votes were counted. And we have yet to hear good pushback on this. There's an underlying connection between that label and the life experiences of people who came here from the Americas and then their first and second and third generation children. You know, many Hispanics, working class and affluent, come from countries that have heavy handed government models. Yes, we have people from communist Cuba and Chavista, Venezuela, but also a lot of immigrants from countries like Brazil, Argentina, and Colombia that fled ham fisted regulatory states. You know, these immigrants and subsequent generations of Latinos get heartburn when they hear Democrats talking up regulatory rules and big spending public programs that put the state at the center of people's lives. You know, we're taught in civics and K-12 government classes that in this country that, you know, government has a role in creating sort of this even playing field in a capitalist system, playing sort of a quasi-referee. That's not just a Democratic Party tradition. It also includes reformist Republicans like trust and monopoly busting Theodore Roosevelt and interstate highway building Richard, I mean, uh, Dwight Eisenhower and even price control Richard Nixon. But to many Hispanics, that language smacks of socialism and government takeover of industry and clamps some private enterprise. And they just simply don't want any of it. Yeah. So when Democrats come around to these you know, Hispanic enclaves and they talk about Obamacare and expanding Medicaid, yeah, there's there's an appeal there. There's a public policy reason for it. The same thing for rules to address climate change or regulations on home or business lending to prevent abuse. You know, they're, they're speaking to a compassionate vision of government. But to many Hispanics, it's interpreted and it sounds like more government control of them and their fortunes. That's how it comes across, how it's interpreted. You know, last week we spoke a bit about this in regards to COVID public health policies and especially public revulsion with the economic shutdown. You know, I thought about that discussion all week. And let me share an anecdote from July 2020. I was at the La Carreta, which is this chain of restaurants here in the 305. And this woman was at the Ventanita, uh, which is a street side window. And she was trying to order a coffee and whatever. And she was told to wear a mask. She did. And then she made her order, got her stuff. And as she was leaving, she rips off the mask, waves in the air and admonishes all of us in the line that we better be careful how we vote. Or in a year, this country will be a communist country. So there. In Cuban Miami, before children went back to school in the fall of 2020, before Disney World reopened, and even before we were allowed back in an NFL stadium, there in July 2020, <laughs> COVID policies were already in the crossfire of the COVID communism Cold War. Wow, so. that's a pretty pretty vivid example <laughs> of uh, <laughs> um, linking uh, mass to socialism. And I, I agree. I think the socialism issue, we saw that. I mean, it, it does seem to be more salient than Democrats seem to think uh, here in Florida, Florida, and and it it definitely um, looked like it hurt them in 2020. I have to wonder though if the woke issue 
could also be uh, uh, significant with uh, many Hispanic voters who, um, you know, obviously the Hispanic population in Florida is very diverse and you have Cubans and Puerto Ricans and um, people from Venezuela and other parts of South America and as well as immigrants from Mexico. But um, in general, you know, uh, it's, uh, you know, you hear that the Hispanic population is a little bit more socially conservative. And if the GOP is really pushing these socially conservative woke issues, I mean, maybe it resonates with enough voters to have a difference in, in uh, 2022. I guess we'll see. Well, Governor Ron DeSantis has been pushing a lot of the anti-woke legislation, and he's likely to brag about it today when he gives a speech to the Conservative Political Action Conference. Last year's CPAC event helped supercharged talk about DeSantis running for president after he did well in the uh, event's uh, straw poll, which had him as the top presidential choice if Trump decides not to run. This year, DeSantis is looking to cement his status as the chief GOP alternative to Trump, who also is speaking at CPAC along with Marco Rubio, Rick Scott, Ted Cruz, and other top Republicans. Antonio, as DeSantis rises, he may increasingly be viewed uh, by Trump as uh, as a threat, really. Um, there was an interesting blog post by a prominent uh, conservative blogger who goes by the name Allah Pundit, um, and he speculated that Trump's team may even have maneuvered to give DeSantis a less prominent CPAC speaking spot. Uh, he's speaking today, actually, on Thursday afternoon, um, which is not considered sort of prime time uh, evening speech. And that, you know, maybe the Trump team out of jealousy, uh, you know, kind of uh, had him uh, get that spot so that he wouldn't upstage uh, Trump. That's all speculation. And whether or not it's true, this weekend CPAC uh, poll is likely to boost DeSantis even further and probably increase Trump's annoyance. Can DeSantis maintain uh, his ascent without clashing with Trump? Well, Zach, as Dr. Frankenstein said, my creation lives. Look, just this week, the University of Florida released a poll showing that Florida Republicans surveyed preferred DeSantis over Trump 44% to 41%. You know, I don't know about you, but I can't wait to see what that CPAC straw poll says this weekend. Look, and we've been talking about this on the podcast for the while, for a while, you know, and, and let's just take a moment to look, take a look back and take stock of what has been one of the more remarkable political trajectories that we've ever seen. You know, last year at CPAC, you know, CPAC came to town and it serves as the launch pad for Trump's return to power in the GOP. Trump had reemerged as the clear cut, undisputed kingmaker in the party. But DeSantis had also emerged as sort of this heir apparent. And DeSantis has only burnished that standing the last 12 months with his, you know, free Florida mantra. That slogan has captivated the MAGA crowd. And what's more, as far back as late April, we were even hearing people at Trump, local Trump fan clubs saying things like, yeah, we love Trump, but, you know, DeSantis is Trump without the baggage. Now, you ask, can DeSantis maintain his ascent without clashing with Trump? I think it's fair to ask whether he maintains his ascent precisely by maybe not clashing, but by positioning himself as the fresh alternative. Because right now, Trump is beset by all matter of scandals. There is a January 6th House committee that continues to unearth evidence that the attack on the U.S. Capitol more than a year ago was a coup attempt, not just a protest gone wild. You know, there is an investigation in Georgia where a grand jury has been called to hear evidence about Trump's efforts to seek a fraudulent finding of 11,000 plus votes. There is a New York attorney general investigating Trump's businesses. Sure, this week, Trump got good news at the Manhattan District Attorney's probe of his financials. Maybe it may appear to be fizzling, but you had two prosecutors resign yesterday on Wednesday. 
You know, and, and look, may, maybe the other investigations don't find evidence of criminal wrongdoing or, you know, which Trump denies anyways. And, and perhaps even that Department of Justice Department probe over his handling of presidential records also doesn't amount to much. But even if they don't, they have already unearthed a lot of improper and damaging dealings that even many Republicans polls are showing are having trouble dismissing. All told, Trump is likely to spend a lot of time in 2022 defending himself. And we know that Trump knows these efforts are serious because he continually lashes out against them. And you know what we say on this podcast, if you are explaining, you ain't winning, which is why DeSantis is smart to keep his name in the ring. Plus, in the alpha male world of Trumpism, DeSantis staying in the ring and facing down Trump actually elevates the governor's stature. His street cred is someone tough and unwilling to back down even in the face of Trump or truth. That's why his ascent in a way depends on him defying Trump and thus demonstrating that he is badass enough to lead MAGA Nation. I think, though, that he wants to separate himself from Trump enough um, to present uh you know this alternative, but but uh, I wonder though if if he really annoys Trump and and really and Trump really turns on him and and starts ripping into the him. We've seen you know Trump, he's hold no holds bar. I mean, uh, if he if he really starts going after DeSantis, uh, it could be a whole different ballgame uh, for him. So we'll see. Also, you know, I mean, Trump, um, he's he's more charismatic. DeSantis is very uh, straightforward, hard charging. Um, Trump is is very freewheeling. Uh, I think he's just more uh, charismatic to people. And so you put the two up in a head to head comparison. And uh, I just wonder if DeSantis can withstand that or if he really wants to to bring that on. I think he'll do everything he can not to really provoke him. Um, but that's hard, you know, especially if we see uh, this CPAC poll come out this week. And if DeSantis is is neck and neck or or even ahead, I think uh, Trump would, could get pretty upset about that. Well, the Florida Senate finally made it official and confirmed Governor Ron DeSantis' controversial pick to lead the state's response to COVID-19. New Surgeon General Joseph Ladapo has been criticized for his views on masks and vaccines, among other things. Democrats have lambasted him for refusing to wear a mask during a meeting with a senator who was going through cancer treatments. But Ladapo is very much in sync with DeSantis' hands-off approach to the pandemic, right, John? Oh, oh he certainly is, uh... DeSantis and Ladapo is a political marriage made in MAGA heaven. Uh, DeSantis and his advisors, remember, they, they courted Ladapo from California for the uh, state surgeon general job. Uh, he was at the, the medical school at the University of California, Los Angeles, uh, UCLA. He was uh, tucked into the University of Florida by board trustees subservient to DeSantis. And uh, of his $437,000 in taxpayer salary, 200,000 of it is coming from uh, the university. Um, like, like DeSantis, he he fought conventional COVID-19 health policies. And uh, he also had been a signer to the uh, Great Barrington Declaration, which was uh, signed by several prominent researchers who advanced herd immunity, not vaccines or social precautions as a way to uh, basically emerge from the pandemic. And uh, that, that was sort of in the early stages of the pandemic, uh, recall that it was a very controversial document that has become a kind of a driving uh, element uh, within the sort of the anti-vaccination community. Uh, DeSantis, we recall too, you know, he's invited a few of these great Barrington leaders to uh, appear with him at COVID-19 roundtables in Florida. And the, uh, the governor who 
who actually once promoted vaccines. It's hard to remember that, but uh, he has since turned to diminishing their effectiveness as uh, we've seen many within the Republican ranks embrace the, the anti-vaccination movement. Uh, the, the doctor won't talk about his own vaccination status, kind of like the governor who won't speak to whether he's received a COVID booster or not. But um, this is the state's Surgeon General. Uh, you know, the, the, how's that for a public health stance uh, as a forward facing uh, role that uh, is not really embracing vaccines at this time? Uh, Lenapo's predecessor was uh, Dr. Scott Rivkes, and uh, he had been sent to uh, DeSantis, uh, Siberia for uh, not, you know, nobody saw him for many of the last months of his uh, service as uh, Surgeon General because he had warned early in the pandemic that masking and social distancing would, would probably have to last for at least a year. And that was a message that the DeSantis administration did not want to see promoted. Uh, Ladapo, by contrast, though, he said that there's been too much focus on vaccines. He talks about other kind of general health practices like, you know, exercise and losing weight are good things, which uh, doesn't seem to have anything to do with fighting COVID. But um, during this confirmation approval on the Senate floor uh, on, on Wednesday of this week, uh, one Republican senator said uh, that the doctor was a man of data. And he uh, defied the, the the national media on vaccines. So these were, you know, sort of part of his credentials uh, that that in, in the view of this Republican senator that earned him this uh, this role as uh, the state's top doctor. Um, Ladapo was featured in a 2020 video that was deleted by social media platforms for COVID-19 misinformation, uh, and you know he was part of this America's frontline doctors. Uh, he was among those that were promoting President Trump's, uh, remember, once touted uh, hydroxychloroquine as a, as a cure for the virus. And, uh, uh, it, you know, since then, it's been pretty much uh, nothing but doubt about the, that compound as having any uh, real effect on combating COVID. But um, for DeSantis, Ladapo is a teammate in, uh, in standing up to science. And uh, it's, it's funny, in, in, in this debate on the House floor about whether or not to uh, confirm Ladapo, which fell along party lines, Republicans in favor of the confirmation, State Senator Gary Farmer, a Broward Democrat, uh, he said, I never thought things could get worse, but here we are. And uh, he also went on to say that in the free state of Florida, there's one thing that's been allowed to run free, and that's COVID. But, uh, you know, Ladapo serves a purpose for DeSantis, and it's a political one. And uh, his public health role, though, is uh, certainly way down the list of his job duties. Yeah, definitely a controversial pick to be the the state's uh, top health officer, especially, you know, a, a lot of, uh, you know, this was happening as uh, Omicron was really spiking in Florida and we were going through another, um, you know, difficult wave of uh, infections. I wonder, though, now that, the you know, this wave is dying down and we'll see what happens if there's another wave. But I wonder if he sort of uh, fades into the background uh, a little bit here. He got a lot of attention um, when he was first picked uh, in, in the heat of this wave. But uh, I'm, I'm thinking that he kind of uh, fades a little bit here. But he certainly says something about uh, the message DeSantis wants to send about 
COVID, uh, that's for sure. Antonio, uh, we're going to move on to some numbers here. You want to tell us uh, about your number? Yeah, gentlemen, I have 51.8%, and that is the sure votes that Republican Nick Howland received in this week's special election to fill an open seat on the Jacksonville City Council. Now, Howland defeated Democrat Tracy Polson, and in doing so, he flipped a seat that was formerly held by a Democrat. I raise this because in 2022, these races are seen as harbingers of the coming November elections. In this case, partisans on the GOP side said it's foretelling major Republican gains in what is already pretty red Florida. Uh, a Republican National Committee spokesman said the election in Jacksonville turned out to be a devastating loss for Democrats. And she said a bad sign of what fed up voters throughout the country have in store for Joe Biden and Democrats in November. So take that. Sort of like the way the rest of the country interpreted those school board races in uh, San Francisco last week that you mentioned earlier, Zach. Now, yes, it is true. The Jacksonville City Council race brought all kinds of 2022 overtones. DeSantis recorded a campaign call for Howland and the Democratic gubernatorial candidate stumped for Polson. The context was interesting, too, because Duval is sort of this toss up county. It does have a slim Democratic voter advantage and Biden carried it in the 2020 presidential election. But the GOP has been making inroads here for years and actually controls more than two thirds of the city council seats. So sure enough, there are lessons here, but not as cut and dried as the partisan spin misers would suggest. That said, there are two important takeaways from this race. Number one, voter enthusiasm matters and a ground game to get those voters to cast votes matters even more. Turn on this race top 20 percent, really unheard of for you know a city special election. And Republicans cast several thousand more votes than Democrats, though Holland won by 4,800 votes. And number two here, a 2020 tried and true slogan accusing Democrat, Democratic candidate of wanting to defund the police appears to have worked yet again. Democrats better find a defense for that one, too. So after winning the election, however, Holland didn't throw out red meat issues. He didn't say he wants to send Jacksonville police to the Mexican border and he didn't burn a COVID mask and he didn't celebrate by getting Regeneron shot jazz. No, he said he wants to get back to work helping put the city's budget together, seek 300 more police officers um, and fill back, fill, you know, fill development in older neighborhoods to bring more activity to the downtown Jacksonville. In other words, grassroots city government work. So, yes, there were bigger poli picture politics involved. But gents, it was still a city council race. And perhaps the biggest issue wasn't so much partisan politics, but who voters simply felt would get the potholes filled, the city spruced up and the streets protected. All right. Another warning sign for Florida Democrats. I wonder how many times we're going to be saying that uh, over the next few months. Uh, John, you want to tell us about your number? Yes, Zach. Uh, my 11 represents the 11 point plan that Florida Senator Rick Scott released this week, which he sees as a blueprint for what he thinks Republicans should do if they take control of uh, Congress in this fall's elections. Now, Democrats have just a few seat advantage in the House, and it's a 50-50 tie in the Senate with uh, the majority on the Democratic side, only because Vice President Kamala Harris is the presiding officer in the Senate. But uh, Scott, you know, is chairman of the National Republican Senatorial Committee. That's basically the fundraising and campaign arm for Republicans in that chamber. Uh, he, he's going to have a lot to say through his fundraising about whether Republicans take control. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell hasn't said much about what he wants to do after November's election, but but here's Scott with an 11-point plan about what he'd do. Now, now, some of it isn't remarkable. It's basically a roster of things that you know 
defend the American family, protect unborn babies, welcome God into all parts of our lives and and be Americans, not globalists, which is an interesting take uh, given a war in Ukraine right now. But, um, you know, th- these these kind of very Republican basic values, I suppose, uh, are what he's touting. But um, other items that are in there are kind of out there and uh, caught a lot of heat, uh, like finishing the border wall across the Mexican border and naming it after Donald Trump. Um, he also wants to stop asking Americans to note their race, ethnicity, uh, and, and other details on federal forms. That's that's something that kind of decries any recognition of race in America and plays into the party's image as that representing the, the interests of an aging, mostly white, rural, and suburban electorate. Basically, they, they don't want uh, any kind of advantage, perhaps, going to minorities. Um, he'd also eliminate all federal programs that can be done locally. Uh, that's another broad mandate to, to shrink the federal government and services. But, but you know, for us in Florida right now, I think what's most interesting is that Scott has unveiled the plan. The, uh, the 11 point plan is the type of thing that politicians sometimes do when they have their eyes on higher office. Uh, his fellow Florida U.S. Senator, Marco Rubio, he, he put out a 191 page book about restoring the American dream in 2016. That was just before he became a Republican presidential candidate. So here we we talk a lot about Florida Governor Ron DeSantis as potentially the Republican heir apparent if uh, Donald Trump doesn't run again for president. But you know, here I am saying, why not Rick Scott? The uh, CPAC conference that we've been talking about, uh, that's seen as kind of a duel between DeSantis and Trump, but Scott's going to be there and speaking along with Rubio as well. But you've got to think that if if Congress turns Republican, and especially if the Senate gains a couple or a few Republican seats this year, uh, Scott is going to be in line for some credit. And his uh, work helping fellow Republicans get elected will be a obligation and a, and a door opener for Scott if he ever wants to, say, go to Iowa or New Hampshire in 2023 to test the water in advance of the next presidential election. So maybe Scott's uh, 11 point plan carries meaning. He's uh, showing himself as somebody with uh, some ideas that may resonate with Republicans. And uh, there's been friction between DeSantis and the Scott camps uh, as as potential rivals, it seems. Uh, you know, it, 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 that, that rivalry seems to be no doubt related to the uh, two men's potential White House aspirations. Um, you know, having watched Scott go from in 2010, an unknown self-financing businessman who Okay, he was part of a hospital chain that paid a, paid a massive settlement stemming from Medicare fraud allegations. But but he was a he became a two time Florida governor before unseating three term Democrat Bill Nelson for Senate four years ago. So uh, or, or I guess yeah, it was four years ago. Now he's been there a while. So he's got a, an eleven point plan, and I'd say uh, keep Rick Scott on your list of potential Floridians running for president if uh, Floridian Donald Trump doesn't do it. Yeah, a lot of talk, uh, you know, about what his uh, next move is. You know, in addition to potentially running for president, some people are wondering if he uh, might, uh, if he doesn't run for president, maybe challenge uh, Mitch McConnell for Senate Majority Leader. I saw Tony Fabrizio, who's done some polling um, for Trump, uh, come right out and say, "Hey, uh, hey, Rick, uh, you know, if you if you're challenging McConnell, why not just say so?" So, especially if Trump uh, won another 
term as president, everybody knows how much he dislikes McConnell. Maybe he would try and push Scott into the Senate majority leader position. But either way, we know he's incredibly ambitious uh, since he went for governor and then the U.S. Senate and, uh, you know, putting out uh, a plan like this just uh, reinforces it. It's also pretty interesting because Scott has really struggled to get much attention. You know, he's not uh, a super charismatic figure um, and, uh, you know, just getting any media attention has been uh, pretty hard for him. So he finally seems to have broken through with this uh, plan. Uh, It's gotten quite a bit of uh, attention in national media. Well, my number is 36, as in just 36% of Florida voters approve of the ban on abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy that was passed by the Florida House last week. Meanwhile, 54% of voters disapprove of the bill, according to a University of North Florida poll that was released this week. The bill is even less popular when voters are told that it does not have exemptions for pregnancies that are caused by rape or incest. We talked about uh, culture war issues earlier. Well, some of these culture war issues that the GOP is pushing are pretty unpopular. The UNF poll also asked about the Don't Say Gay bill and found that just 40% of Florida voters support the legislation, while 49% are opposed. Republican primary voters support these bills, though, and that's a group that Governor Ron DeSantis wants to make an impression on if he runs for president in 2024. Well, that wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics. I want to thank our audio production guru, Thomas Cordy. Thanks to all of you for listening. We're out of here.